0: You and London are doing some research, right? Correct. And even I am doing some kind of research work uh, as my MSc project. Uh-huh. So do you think whatever you find at the end of your research degree or see even in PhD, mm-hmm. whatever, you, whatever will be your findings, mm-hmm. what is the probability of that being used in the real world mm-hmm. or not even just changing the entire world, but just using being used somewhere in the world? the probability is quite less and i think that is true for so many research degrees and phds Mm -hmm. most of the research which is being done by phd scholars all Mm -hmm. around the world Mm -hmm. they just sit in the shelves of those universities and they are not really used Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. so what is your feeling about it now that we ourselves are doing some research I mean, first of all, we need to distinguish between different areas of studies so of
1: something like a pure math. Nobody is producing any work there with the intention of being used in the real world, uh, even though it might have some application somewhere down the line. Pure math is essentially an area where you do math just for the sake of it. It's like it's abstract for the most part. Of course, it could have applications and the same people could also work on applications and all of that. But just that area by itself doesn't vouch or encourage specifically creating something that is application-oriented. Uh, and I think that is fine. Like, if you are setting out with the intention of creating something not necessarily applicable, I think that's fine.
0: You think that's fine? Like, you put in so much efforts and you are giving... Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine if they want to do it.
1: I personally have chosen a field which is much more application-oriented and much more sort of impactful in terms of day-to-day life. Uh, and again, I don't want to say that pure math is not impactful because... Goodness gracious, all of physics rests on the foundation of pure math. I'm just saying that it's not created with the intention of producing applicable results. Now, my field is neuroscience, which is uh, a a very developing field and be very pertinent in day to day life because all of us are basically us because of our brains. And my first point is just to distinguish between areas of study and different areas have a different commitment to application and something like an engineering is like totally committed to applying, applying everything that they know while something like a pure math is not that committed. Now, on a, speaking on a personal level, uh, is my research going to be directly applicable? Uh, no, because we are doing basic research and it's not like you can't just lift it off and apply it a, a, anywhere but it helps us understand the world and I think it can be useful in that way. So it's,
0: it's sort of in the middle of engineering and pure math. So overall your answer is like it's sort of in the middle. And you're okay with that.
1: Yes. I mean, uh, the thing is, um, by definition, research involves uh, finding new stuff, right? The relevance of the new stuff, you're not going to know beforehand, like the application relevance of the new stuff. So it's it's always a tricky area. It's not innovation. Research is not the same as innovation. Uh, Innovation, you could design something with the intention of improving something or helping something. But research is much more shout in the void sort of a thing. Uh, And our main aim, anyway is understanding more than utility. So in that way, yes, it is helping us understand the real world. But does it directly translate into making something that is useful for people? No.
0: So it's not just about making something useful for the people or bringing out a product or being incorporated in some policy. Mm -hmm. It's not just about that. Even the fact that, you are expanding the horizon of knowledge mm-hmm. of humans. Mm-hmm. You find something new, or you find something does not work the mm-hmm. way we think it used to. Mm-hmm. So, I think there is some intrinsic value to that as well, mm-hmm. and there's some huge value there. Mm-hmm. But there are also theories which have been recorded or made, mm-hmm. and they are just sitting there like no one is using them further. Right. It's not being taken into consideration anymore
1: yeah i i I get what the difference is yeah i mean i I get what you're
0: trying to say like we know it's true and someone has put in their work correct and it's a sound solid theory about something Mm -hmm. but it is no longer in use and a few years down the line a few decades down the line no one is going to know about them right um and that person gave like four or five years of his or her life to make that theory but then there are a lot of math theories like that like abstract math theories like that
1: that like two people in the world understand anyway
0: and so what is your question how how do I feel about that right if something of a similar sort happens with you you have a finding you make a theory right, or you write right. a paper right. and it is not being used anywhere after it has been published what I do
1: think is I do uh, take care of doing research that is important to human beings it might not be used immediately or it might not have a use at all Perhaps in the beginning, like the things that I'm going to produce at this stage, which is like master stage, is not going to be life changing for anyone, right? I mean, there's a possibility, but let's say the chances are small given the time frame that I have and all of that. But in general, I do try to keep... The area that I'm working on a relevant area. Again, this is why I chose neuroscience again. It's because we could do with a lot of knowledge about the brain at this point. We don't know much. There's a lot of scope for improvement. There's a lot of scope for understanding. Most papers aren't read a lot, right? Most paper that is published. Very few papers are actually read
0: a lot. Correct. And widely. That's my major concern, really.
1: Yeah, and that is a concern for me as well. Which is why, you know, in the long term, I don't see myself as being a scientist throughout my life i do like at, the, at least at this point intend to like after a, like say maybe 10 years in science do something on field maybe so yeah that is a genuine concern so even though you might be doing good work it might not be very relevant like obscurity uh is your oblivion uh, is the concern yeah i don't know a way around it i mean i think the aim should be to produce research that is both valuable and read widely uh i i am not very sure if you can do that uh, a priori like i don't think you can like set the intention that you're going to make a paper that is widely read i don't think that happens mm-hmm. all right so yeah i think what you can best do is produce good work like and hope that the good work is recognized all Right. like I, I don't remember the exact details but there have been a lot of papers uh, that have been published which are so so very important and we consider them very important at this point but they were totally ignored at
0: their uh <laughs> like when they were published all right right you and i know a few of them in physics
1: yeah, yeah. So that's unfortunate and I think that's that's perhaps a systemic flaw in science more than our own personal shortcomings.
0: My point of discussion was never the systematic flaws of science in general. My topic of discussion was majorly about what we feel about the research we are doing. Mm-hmm. For example, I am doing research a project on solar cells. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make a solar cell absorber layer using some unique materials mm-hmm. and uh, trying to reduce the overall cost, the overall easiness, or the reducing the difficulty of making that absorber layer, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And during the literature review, mm-hmm. I have read many papers which have made absorber layers of various materials. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. when you go in the market, uh-huh. the solar cells are still made up of silicon. Uh-huh. And we are making solar cells out of these novel materials with these novel techniques for right, decades now. Right, right. Even after all these years, we don't see any of them translating into commercially uh, viable solutions. Uh-huh. And till now, at least billions of dollars must have been spent for this for this research, and hundreds of PhDs must be awarded right. for these. Right, and none of them are giving any result. It's not that none of them are giving any results like these are all stepping stones and I'm sure that someday because of these stepping stones will reach a point where they are finally economically viable. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how can a person be motivated to put in four or five years of their uh, research? Into something which they are not really sure if it is so useful or not, and this is assuming that those are stepping stones mm-hmm. towards something great. But that also need not be necessary. While doing the research, there's no guarantee as such. Yeah. So it's difficult for anyone really to keep that motivation. I wonder how many people even have such requirements while doing the PhDs. I I know many people. Who are doing PhD just for the sake of it. Just to get that tag. Mm-hmm. Or just because the stipend is good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you've hit the bullseye there. Um, quite a few people do PhDs because... They're not necessarily motivated by research per se. Like, there are good reasons for do PhD. And there are bad reasons to do PhD. And you'll find a lot of people who are doing the PhD for the bad reason, Something like... Because I had nothing else to do, let's say. Or that is the natural thing to do after a master's, let's say. Like, that's the path. Alright. Um, right. Or because, like... All your friends are PhDs, whatever.
0: But there is nothing else to do, really. Like, after a master's degree in physics, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like, there's not many good answers.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, as a student, I think it's quite important for me to have a sense of direction of what my research is, what I'm doing. That doesn't mean that you'll have to have periods in which you're going to produce book that is not very influential. Uh, But I think uh, as a good student... You should be informed about the direction that your research is taking and the relevance. And you should also have this constant checking in with yourself as to what you're doing. And is it something that you want to do? And are you on the right track? I think that's that's part of the mindfulness of your research.
0: All right. And what is the situation with the craze of publishing papers in the university you are pursuing your degree?
1: Oh, right. So um, the British system is such that there is something called the research excellence framework, uh, which aims to measure how much impact the research has had. So not just the number of publications, but literally, if has it been useful in like, say, hospitals, like, has it actually helped patients and stuff like that. So universities are ranked according to that framework. And UCL is like, right on the top, at least in neuroscience, literally the first, in
0: fact. But how are they measuring the impact the research is having? It's complicated. Are they just complicated. seeing I, I, the number of citations?
1: no 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 uh, it's also like it has some real world component to it i i'm i'm i don't i'm not fully aware of the exact procedures that they're undertaking we could probably look it up and whatever but uh from what i understand they are trying to measure it in on field so for example if someone has invented a psychometric test then has it been actually useful for diagnosing patients you get
0: wow. yeah wow that is really nice and i yeah. think that should be adopted all over the world And that will also prioritize research work, like people will only take up work which they think that can have an impact on the world, which makes more sense. We have limited resources in the world, right? We should make the best use of our resources. That is something really nice.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you, I'm not sure if this is a UCL thing or a UK thing or just a modern thing, but uh, nowadays papers also contain a column in which they have to explain why their research is significant. So you have the abstract and blah, 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 everything. But you also have to explain the significance of your research.
0: No, no. I think that can be filled in very easily by using some interesting words and good vocabulary and grammar. Fair enough. That is not a big deal.
1: Fair enough. I'm just saying that's a requirement with the intention of creating impactful work. The fact that it's abused is another matter.
0: See, I study in an NIT, which is an institute of national importance. Mm -hmm. And just my department of physics has projects worth crores of rupees. Okay, and even in such a good university supposedly in when you compare it on uh, the Indian level mm-hmm. so it's somewhere in the top mm-hmm. and even in such a university my professor works on physical methods of solar cells mm-hmm. or physical vapor depositions mm-hmm. and there are people who are suggesting him Mm -hmm. people who are highly ranked uh, people in government research institutions Mm -hmm. but he should switch to chemical methods because it is easier to publish papers in chemical methods right right but i am fortunate enough that i have a professor strong as nails and he won't change Mm -hmm. and um, if my professor intended i would have had like two three papers within a span of one year Mm -hmm. but um, my professor does not give much importance to the number of papers published by Mm -hmm. even even the phd scholars not just the person doing an msc project Mm -hmm. he won't concentrate on the number of papers he will be more concerned about what are you uh, learning from this laboratory and uh, what is the mastery you're gaining over the instruments you're working Mm -hmm. with so i am lucky to have such a professor I i agree the problem is that not everyone in my batch will have had such a good professor right some right. of those will have had some bad professors whose mm-hmm. aim is just to publish more number of papers and because their promotions and their increments are based on the number of papers they are publishing and number of citations their research publications have etc etc yeah, yeah, yeah they are just hungry for research papers
1: yeah i mean see uh, the scientists are not to blame for this like the incentive structure that currently science has is exactly that. It's, it's based on the amount you have published. Like if you have a result that is not significant, even though it might be true, uh, that is not published. So the way we have incentivized publishing at this point, uh, it's not a surprise that even good scientists are looking at hacking their way into publishing more.
0: Right. I think many people have talked about what is wrong with the current science scenario.
1: True, true. And uh, as I mean, as, as you also know, and I also know as people who are right in the middle of it it's it's true like unfortunately there is most labs in the world will work around the idea of publishing uh, than actual like pursuit of truth in the ideal sense
0: the most surprising part of the story for me is that negative results are not giving any importance negative yeah. results can be so important so so important a yeah. person might try making a solar cell using aginse se2 s3 and the person might fail and because that person has failed and cannot really publish Mm -hmm. the paper he he or she will just leave that pursuit Mm -hmm. and someone say for example two years down the line also has the same idea Mm -hmm. and because there is no negative result published that Mm -hmm. person might not know that this person has already done this and has failed that person is going to again invest this much amount of time energy Precious materials is going to be wasted, energy, money, etc. The concern that you're raising is on a very economical level, which is obvious, like it makes
1: it obvious how bad it is to not publish negative results. But I think even just on a philosophical level, we just want to value significance, like statistical significance, over, I don't know, accuracy. Uh, I think there's there's this philosophical problem with just valuing significance so much. Um, And I mean, I get it also, like, non-significant results are not fun to read and all of that. But but they are
0: essential when you're are, trying something new. They are essential. It is so and important
1: for you to know that someone has already tried this and failed. Exactly. So if, if your aim is to find a the truth then you'll have to pass through phases where things don't work out and the current right. structure doesn't uh, incentivize that. The current structure expects us all to right. produce great results from the, in the first attempt.
0: So everyone has these dreams, right? That if I become super rich I will do this I will do that etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just keep adding things to that list so one of those was opening a hospital for mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. where all the services are free another one was a medical shop which is totally free mm-hmm. so one of the recent additions was i will make a journal mm-hmm. which which is dedicated only for negative results <laughs> and yeah, those yeah. negative results will be very rigorously studied and peer-reviewed and only then you can publish on uh, in this journal
1: uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a journal for negative results per se, but there's certainly a journal for replication results. Uh, So one of the things that's also not incentivized is replication studies, right? And you'd be surprised to know that a lot of the studies that are considered like landmark in some areas, if you try to repeat them, they just don't work. Right, Uh, right. So there is a website at least, I don't know if it's a journal that posts all these debunked results, which is also very important
0: right i mean i know when i came to know about this i mean it was mind-blowing that many such important results are not replicable
1: yeah yeah exactly um. there's
0: just so much work to do in fact in the research like some people might think that over these years not what new can you bring to the table mm. but in case of psychology mm-hmm. like any result to take up most of them are, say, for, from Europe and America because they have good funding. Mm-hmm. In India, you can just try to replicate it and see what are the changes because of the cultural difference, because mm-hmm. of the economical difference, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that is still okay because it was at least true in the original context. I'm, all, I'm talking about studies that don't hold in their own context as well, because maybe there was some flaw with the experimental method. Uh, maybe just pe- uh, they biased the people in some way or they just, you know what p-hacking is? Yeah, so it's basically the idea that run an experiment, change enough variables until you get a significant result. Uh, And I'm going to be honest with the way science works, even at the best of universities. uh, And unfortunately, there's a lot of p-hacking that's going on. And the thing with p-hacking is that it's not explicitly unethical or it's explicitly against truth. But just the thing is that if you're intending, if your intention is to get a significant P, and if you're working with that, then they are then you're likely to ignore a lot of other factors that are influencing the P. And it's quite likely then that your P is significant, not because of your original hypothesis, but because of some side factor that has influenced your result.
0: I don't know why you say it is not unethical. I think it is totally unethical the job profile of a scientist is just like to uncover truth and that is not the intention with which that person is doing research. I think that is very clearly unethical. No,
1: so, P-hacking doesn't mean that you publish what is not true. P-hacking just means that you tinker an experiment to the extent that the P becomes significant. But the experiment still works.
0: I know it works, but like your motivation makes it unethical.
1: That's true, and I, I agree with that. Uh, but then you have to look at the whole incentive structure of science and how people get paid and how people get grants and all of that. Yeah, unfortunately, all of this is submerged in the context of politics and sociology and everything else.
0: The other two things which I know are interesting to note is that many of the experiments which require participants, Mm -hmm. most of them participants are usually college students. So they are not really representative of the population. Yeah. And secondly, there is some taboo around Toilet experiments or experimental experiments surrounded around poop. Not many mm-hmm. people want to put their hands into experiments or research around poop. Mm-hmm. Did you know this?
1: No, no.
0: Yeah. There is very less research being done around poop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's so important. Like it could have real-life implications mm-hmm. right at the get-go. Mm-hmm. I mean, see, but these all
1: are fine. These are just. So, for example, if if the study is done just with, say, white undergraduate students, that's fine if the result still holds. You just need to be careful about it's not, um, you're not going to be, should not be making universal claims. And the study needs to be replicated. But the result in itself is fine as a starting point. Uh, That distinguishes Mm -hmm. it from the result not being fine and it it was p-hacked and you still publish it as a result. You know, those are two different things.
0: Right. That was that. Yeah,
1: the way this science works is not that idealistic, although it's still good. I mean, in theory, it should work. In practice, it's a bit tricky, unfortunately. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I had a few topics which I think can run long. So we'll just skip those and try to cover two, three small. Okay, small topics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lollipop topics. There is this. A weird feeling when i always return to mumbai which is my hometown from nakpur uh-huh. whenever i see familiar faces mm-hmm. who have not moved out of their city mm-hmm. the feeling i have is these people are still here mm-hmm. i have moved on with my life mm-hmm. and hence i am ahead in my life these mm-hmm. are people just where i left them <laughs>
1: okay okay
0: do you get this feeling I do get that feeling, but it's, it
1: doesn't <laughs> feel to me. I mean, there's some dis- difference. I mean, I do think I've grown, but it's not necessarily because of the place as much as it's because of what I've done in that period.
0: See, that's my point, right? Someone might be studying here in the I- in IIT Bombay, which is a really good college. And I am mm-hmm. studying in an NIT, which is definitely worse mm-hmm. or not that great as IIT Bombay is. But still, mm-hmm. it's just, that, just the fact that these people are still here with respect mm-hmm. to place. And mm-hmm. I have like traveled 800 kilometers. Just about <laughs> the distance between where I used to live. And where, where I am pursuing my degree now. It's nothing related to what I have done. Like they could be doing mm-hmm. great things here. But I am not taking mm-hmm. all that into consideration. I just have a feeling that I have. Because I have moved away in a new city. I have moved ahead in my life.
1: I am not sure if I get the exact feeling. But I mean there is some relatable element to it. Which is um, like for example you go grow socially a lot once you live Uh, Away from home and alone and independently. And that could explain the sense of superiority that you're feeling.
0: And there there is a lot of hype about going to a new city and learning new things and living independently. And that somehow makes you grow. I think that is the same feeling they are having. I think it's funny. And I do think Uh that there's some value into moving out and living some time independently. But I think it's overhyped and i think that is the exact same feeling i am having but they are like giving it a sugar coating of you have new experience you have to settle into a new city etc etc
1: um i don't know because both the places that i've lived in have certainly influenced me a lot and made me grow a lot i but that's mainly not because of the place itself as much as it's because of other things like for example diversity here most of my friends are not indian and uh, even at uh, in delhi most of my friends were not uh, Maharashtrians. So there is a there's a lot of value that you gain in diversity and interacting with people of different viewpoints and disciplines the, who come from different walks of life. So I think, I don't think that's ho- overriding. I think I learned a lot from that.
0: But I still think there is some underlying feeling, mm-hmm. which is... Totally Let me give you another example. Mm-hmm. I have a friend from UP. He said that whenever he goes back and tells people that he is now studying in Nagpur, mm-hmm. especially his grandmother, mm-hmm. she says that because he has traveled so far, he lives in Meret, right? Mm-hmm. And it is very much close to Delhi. So there mm-hmm. are much better colleges in Delhi for physics mm-hmm. than my college. Mm-hmm. But he says, even if I would have gone to Delhi mm-hmm. and Compare that with I moving to Nagpur. Mm-hmm. Because I have travelled five 500-600 kilometers, they think that mm-hmm. I have moved ahead in life. So his daddy will say, Are you going to be chala to yeah. Now when the Dadi is speaking such a thing, she is not analyzing the diversity, yeah, the experiences, etc. Yeah, 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 etc et So I think there is some inherent feeling that we have that we have moved on in life when we travel and when we settle in into new sure. place. True. And I, I think that is the feeling which I have noticed these days when I see people, familiar faces here back in my hometown. Um, I think it might be just based on this
1: basic idea that when, whenever you put some sort of effort in anything, uh, that leads to more satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this traveling is effort. Like it's It's not like I'm going to my college, which is next door. But you're sort of taking some active steps to go somewhere and then study there. So I think that breeds more satisfaction. Mm. And I think the when the when the grandmother is saying she's to dur I think she's capturing that
0: that's right you you know what I've noticed a pattern here, okay. so now right now, our podcast description just reads two dudes talking uh-huh. but what I've realized is that there is a pattern to what we talk about and how we talk about okay what it's is the always pattern? <laughs> so it's always I bring up something a uh-huh. feeling a notion an idea or something mm-hmm. and you will always give the psychology side of it and you will try to explain the feeling you'll try to give reasons and explanations for them right have um, you noticed this
1: yeah i mean that's just me by default <laughs> that's why i'm that's 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 what i do for uh, full time um, <laughs> but i mean i think but i think that's a little simplistic because uh, it's also um you sort of in your topic when you bring up that topic in your question there is a there is a Asking for explanation also. Like it's just not let's generally mumble about it. But there's some demand for explanation.
0: Uh, True. And I think that leads us there. Not just bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we'll (laughs) take (laughs) the last question for the day. Okay. Let's do it. So this is one question asked to me by my friend. Okay. And it was a very interesting twist to a generally asked question. And I uh-huh. could not think of a an answer quickly in that moment. I don't think I have a good answer even now. And okay. I don't think everyone will have an answer to this question. I'm just curious if you have an answer. Okay. So, the frequently asked question is, uh-huh. what is your dream?
1: What is my dream?
0: Yeah. Or what is your bucket list? What, what all things are on your bucket list? But the interesting twist my friend gives it to that question is, uh-huh. What is your dream with first priority that you want to achieve first and as soon as possible? Uh huh.
1: And what is your answer?
0: Uh, I still don't have a great answer. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I have a great answer either, but. Uh, like, do you exactly... have an answer? It's not about greatness, it's more about do you have something in your mind yeah, which I has do. that urgency to it? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's.
1: It's 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 working on the lines of suffering to eliminate suffering. That's the broader idea, uh, and the way I'm working with it in research is more like investigating happiness and, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically eliminating suffering from the world. On the broader. So,
0: level. yeah, I mean, firstly, it's a huge task, and I'm not sure whether you even believe that it will be fulfilled by the end of your life. Mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it's a very broad project right it's true, true. it's a big project true. so do you realistically have some urgency with respect to that dream
1: yes i do i mean uh, it's not urgency in the sense of i'm working like 24 7 or anything but it's urgency uh-huh. in the sense of that's that's the first thing on my priority list interesting yeah
0: so my friend's answer was that he wants to become financially independent and buy a good bike for himself as soon as possible. Okay, okay, I I see the, <laughs>
1: I see how those two answers are not very close by.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for me there was nothing in uh, nothing as such uh-huh. with urgency. Uh-huh. Like there are things in my bucket list. For example, skydiving, and there mm-hmm. are some places I want to visit. The mm-hmm. only time limit is that I should visit these places or do these things while I'm young. So mm-hmm. as soon the better. Mm-hmm. But there's no sense of urgency. Like if I get an opportunity to do it where at the end of my life and if I'm fit to do it, I don't have any problem. So I don't have anything which I'm really passionate about and I want to do it first as such.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm interested in seeing if this thing works in which we're recording one once a month because... Uh, I mean, if at all we are having listeners, then I would have I would prefer like getting a little bit of feedback before every episode, um, mm-hmm. and making this a bigger conversation of sorts than just we talking. Like a, m- right. a month is fine, I think, for that also. But it's just like, can uh-huh. we have avenues in which m- more people interact? That will just make it more rewarding and enjoyable for us also. All right.
0: but I think so If anyone is listening, guys, participate. <laughs> uh. I think it is difficult for, I mean, it's a big thing to ask really, because when someone is listening to a podcast, which is more than 30 minutes in duration, they'll -hmm. just put it on, put on the speaker or earphones, and they'll just keep doing their things. Now, during that, if they have something to say, to pause the podcast, to go into some other website and post a comment, I think that is something too much to ask for. And I myself have never commented on any podcast. So I think it is a difficult thing. And the one podcast I listen to very regularly, Hello Internet, which in which there are many feedbacks, there are many conversations which go on. Even they have like 200, 300 comments per episode.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe a way to phrase it would be like if you feel that you have to say something, then know that there are avenues to post it. Yeah. And please feel free to. Yeah. Feel free to post. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See you then. Okay, okay, bye.